0: everybody, and welcome to A Deeper Conversation, the podcast for Jewish women. My name is Yochavet, and you are going to love this episode. In this episode, I talked to my friend Rifki Gardner. Rifki and I met when we were both presenters at a retreat, and since then, we've been getting together regularly, kind of talking shop, getting to know each other. And I love the things that she has to say about marriage, so much so that I am taking her training right now, and it is incredible. And I asked her if she would come onto the podcast and share a little bit about marriage. So if you are struggling, or if your marriage is great and you want it to get better, or if you are a therapist or a person who talks to people who are married and you want some tools and tricks, or if you're just interested in marriage or two Jewish women having a conversation, this is the podcast for you. I hope you love it. And please be in touch and let me know your thoughts. You can email me at adeeperconversation120 at gmail.com. Of course, follow me on Instagram at a conversation. I don't post a lot, but I do post new episodes there and previews sometimes. Also, if you're interesting, interested in supporting the podcast, that would be amazing. It takes a lot to put a podcast out. And... It can sometimes feel a little bit like a very expensive hobby. And I really would like to continue to put out these podcasts. I get so much great feedback from you and your support really means a lot. And like I said, it helps keep the podcast going. So you can support by either sponsoring an episode, which you can do by emailing me at a deeper conversation 120 at gmail.com. Or monthly donations are great. A monthly donation of $5 really helps me to just keep the podcast going, keep the lights on, and you can go to maverickpodcasting.com, click on the page for a deeper conversation, and donate there. Thank you all so much for listening. Enjoy this conversation. I definitely did. Hi, Rifki. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, I am so excited to talk to you about where you are now, how you got here, and what you have to offer women, especially in the area of marriage. Um, so why don't you just tell me a little bit about a back, your background? How did you get to this place to be sitting here talking to me today? Okay,
1: so it brings me actually all the way back to where I was born and grew up in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. um in okay. a very small community, very loving, um, really had a great childhood there, and then went on to seminary, and um, got married very soon after that and moved to Art for four and a half years. At that time, I was thinking about what um, I wanted, what profession I wanted Mm -hmm. to go into to support my husband in learning. Um, I had always wanted to be a teacher, but I was very focused on practically what would, you know work best in terms of him continuing and learning, how I could make the most money within a schedule that would be good for my children, things like that. So at that point, I um, decided to go for a
0: master's in speech therapy. So did, were you in school? Then you you said you came back from seminary, you got married, you went to artisanal. Were you in school during that time? So I
1: actually... Um, went to two years of seminary, so I went to Seminary Israel okay. for a year, and the second year I came to Yavna Seminary in Cleveland. Okay. So I got my BA during that time. Mm-hmm. I went back to Milwaukee and I started teaching, um, and actually started a master's program at that point in reading specialist. But I had one semester and then I got engaged, so right. I dropped that, that was the end and end. yeah, that was the end. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. um, so then,
1: so then I moved to Israel after I had my first baby. I sort of was going back into the school mode of what do I do next in terms of schooling. And that's when I started exploring options. And really at that point I was really looking at either reading becoming a reading specialist or a speech therapist, Mm -hmm. did some research, saw programs were available for me there and went in for the speech therapy. Uh,
0: Wow. So So many of my friends, okay, so I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but when I was finishing school, it seems like sometimes careers have this like Almost like it's like a trend or a fad or what's in fashion now. And people do sort of what's in fashion. What are all the girls doing? When I was going to school, all my friends were going for OT. That was a thing. And like speech, some girls were going for speech. But I think at the time when I was in school, it was like harder to get into speech programs or there were fewer of them. And OT, I think, was a little bit faster or easier to get into. So many of my friends were OTs. Now I feel like everybody are like a lot of nurses. A lot of girls are going to nursing now. Were you, were a lot of your friends doing that? Was it a thing? Yeah, I
1: think it was. I, it, it was a very common, like I did have another close friend who was also doing research around mm-hmm. that at the same time and she decided on speech therapy. So I, yeah, I was sort of just following what was available at the time. TTI had a program in Eretz mm-hmm. um, through University of Cincinnati and it was easy and I could get my prerequisites before that through Malot. So it was just a very easy way to right. continue.
0: Did you like being a speech therapist?
1: So, well, let's go on. So after (laughs) I, after I trained, so I think what pulled me to speech therapy or reading was Mm -hmm. I wanted, I was always pulled to teaching. I wanted to make a difference. You know, that was very, so I, I trained and the artist and the training in Israel was hard because I had to do a lot of my internship in Hebrew. Wow. So that was difficult. So I can't say that sort of put a block on Mm -hmm. my enjoyment a little bit. It was sort of like something I had to get through. But then when I moved back to the States and I started working in speech therapy, um, I actually moved into the preschool area where mm-hmm. I was working in public school with preschool kids. And I actually did – there was a certain part that was very enjoyable. I was making – I sort of had a little niche mm-hmm. um, in something called phonological process disorders, which mm-hmm. was women – not women, children with the highly right, – now you
0: work with women. <laughs> now I work with women, yeah,
1: with highly unintelligible speech. So not just right. like that their R is wrong or their S is nah. wrong, but sort of everything's distorted. Wow. And um, I – I got very good at, re, you know, remediating that particular issue. It sort of became my specialty. Mm-hmm. And I did enjoy it because I was very successful at helping those kids, and the kids were cute. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I knew that there was something much bigger mm-hmm. <laughs> that I was called to be doing. So it, was, it wasn't it was something that I disliked. You know, it wasn't like I went to work every day and said, I hate doing this and I'm just doing it for money. I really – I. I would say it was good to get out of the house. I enjoyed the work somewhat. There was a lot, a lot of paperwork involved and that part. I didn't like yes. as much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I there was something inside of me saying, you're not meant to be here in this public school with the preschool kids. Like, right. there's something much bigger that, that you're being called to do. Mm-hmm. So that was when, at that point, um, so this is – you know, maybe four or five years ago that I really started um, moving in that direction more. Mm-hmm. But let me back up for a minute because before before that, throughout all the years, mm-hmm. really since my marriage, I was taking self-development courses, um, all different. I've always just been interested in all of these things. So I had started actually learning from Dina Friedman eleven years ago when oh, one wow. of when my third child was born, and I took, at that point, she was offering chinuch classes, so I started doing those, and then um, with her, really loved the work that I, you know, that she did, and and the material I was learning from her, and then continued as she developed more courses, I continued taking her courses, so throughout all those years of being a speech therapist and raising my young children, I was constantly um, learning other you know, other things in terms of growth, self-development, marriage, parenting, um, all those areas.
0: Okay, so when did you decide that you were going to take the plunge and you were going to leave being a speech therapist? So
1: this was, I think, around four years ago when I took the plunge to train as a coach with Dina. Okay. Um, And I was still working as a speech therapist at the time, but I was moving in this direction of I really want to do something um, different and more And I trained and continued on with my speech therapy job and started giving small workshops to women in groups in my home, Mm -hmm. um, teaching the material that I had found was really powerful, both in my own marriage Mm -hmm. and for people I had shared it with. And um, I saw amazing things happen in those groups. Like I I had very small groups of women, but both their marriages made huge changes they made huge changes in their marriages, and also they became really good friends, which was nice, and they were there to support each other. So that was sort of the start. I was doing speech therapy. I was doing that on the side, mm-hmm. um, and then Hashem really gave me the final push because in I was a part-time speech therapist in public schools, and the the district decided that they were going to be letting go of the part-time speech therapist and I knew that I did not want to go into a full-time position right. um, and so it was like at this point where I had to I was being pushed out of the comfortable situation mm-hmm. that I had and at that point, I had, it was sort of an inner battle because I, my gut reaction was fear and I need to go look right away for another part-time speech therapy job. And then there was another part of me that kept saying like, this is Hashem's plan. This is what you wanted to do. This is going to, you know, push you into this in a more full-time way. And I followed that.
0: Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to, I'm going to come back to that because <laughs> I want to ask you about that. And obviously your husband is, is a Rebbe. So you continue to support him. Like you were supporting him. Are you were the main yeah main breadwinner or uh, yeah, a large part of the family income certainly yes. was your job. So yeah, not so simple to leave like a steady job with benefits. Yes. So
1: I actually, I wasn't getting benefits because yeah. I was part-time. So that uh, was, okay. that made it a little bit easier right. in terms of I wasn't giving that up. Okay. Um, I was leaving, I, I still am a main, t- you know, one of the, mm. the big parts of supporting one of, um, and so, uh, financially in the home. So it was, it was definitely a leap of faith to leave something stable, yeah. yeah, and move into this.
0: All right, so yeah. maybe just going back because I, I think this is important, and I and I want to ask your opinion about it. Like I said, when I was finishing school, so many girls were going to OT. Not that there's anything wrong with being an OT. OTs are amazing. We need OTs, and they help. They do, like you said, it is a helping profession. But a lot of times with from girls, it's you know very very end-oriented very task goal-oriented so you need to support somebody you need to have a career that's going to be practical that's going to support a family that's going to be flexible all those things and so girls are just kind of like jumping very very quickly like you did a BA in, in two years you do master's very quickly like there's all these wonderful programs so that from girls can get master's interestingly actually when I did my master's it was much later and I it was I was out of town. I was the only I think maybe I was even the only Jewish person, certainly the only religious Jew there. And there was one other woman who was religious, but she was a Mennonite who was in my program. And so she like really gravitated toward me because her husband was a pastor, my husband was a rabbi, and she was telling me that um, her husband's friends were nervous that she was gonna be more educated than him and she was going to have a master's. And she wanted to know how my husband felt about it. And I said almost every Jewish woman that I know has a master's degree. Like that's not our culture. And she was just so shocked. She was so surprised. But I do feel like sometimes girls do these things like the career choices for women are very prescribed or like they're very trendy. And what do you, what do you think about that?
1: So I've thought a lot about this over the years, especially (laughs) because I have girls coming up the pike. My oldest is a 16 year old girl. So I'm not so far away from, you know, helping her make these decisions. And, As I've grown and developed and the way that I look at the world has grown Mm -hmm. and developed, my thoughts on this have really changed because whereas when I first started off, again, I was very focused on, you know, very practical considerations and I wasn't really tuning into what I wanted to do, what I was passionate about, what I loved. Um, I sort of, I can't say I pushed it aside entirely because Mm -hmm. I didn't choose to sit in an office all day. I was working with people. I knew that was something that I wanted. But I, um, I did throughout the years many times push aside this desire to go help people with their um, relationships, with their own personal growth. And my thoughts on this now are, are really that each person is um, sent here with something, with a very unique mission, something that they, they are here to do, and that their strengths and what they love doing and their passions are very often or always tied up within that mission. Mm-hmm. So, I do think that when a girl is drawn to something, um there we we shouldn't ignore that, meaning we should we should open that up, explore it, and I also think as I've grown and seen more in the financial and business world that really money can be made with anything. So mm-hmm. it's a very narrow mindset to think, like, in order to have money, I have to do this. Or in order to be able to, you know, have time for my family, I need to do this. I I think if we open it up more and explore that um, there's there's ways to create income, there's ways to meet your goals. And also at the same time, do something that you love and are passionate about is really my belief system now.
0: Right. So I love that idea of creativity because it's so true. And it also with technology, there are so many more opportunities than existed when we were finishing school. There are so many, there are jobs that didn't even exist. Um, somebody could be a podcaster example. Um, but there's so many things and so many options that are open to us. And we are sometimes staying inside like a very narrow set of choices. Um, it's funny because sometimes I'll see women who are sort of on the opposite side of the spectrum. And I saw this more when I was working, let's say in the non-Jewish world where women, you know, got a degree in like poetry or something. And then, you know, they're trying to take care of their family and they have no practical resources and no practical skills, because college was really a time that they just, you know, explored what they were interested in without any sort of practical direction. And when I would see women making these choices, I would be like, you know, you you need to make a living, you need to have like, a, a, like a, a framework, some kind of a, a practical like engine here. So I see like it on both sides of the extreme, but I love the way you sort of kind of came into the middle that way. I think that that's a very important lesson for for women. Yeah, I think it's, I think the question that we
1: ask ourselves is how can I do what I love and do what I'm drawn to and make a Parnassa? And sometimes the questions we ask create the answers that we can come up with. And Mm. when we get stuck in an either or sort of mindset, which I do this a lot of work in marriage also, Mm -hmm. it's like either it's going to be his way or it's going to be my way. There's Often when we ask the question, how can this work and this work, we come up with a third alternative that really works in a very, you know, in a very beautiful way. Mm -hmm. Now, not every girl has an idea of what excites her and what she's passionate about and what she wants to do. So I think that's something to start exploring with them and, you know, just to open those discussions and start thinking about that more.
0: Right. That's that's so true. And and the reality is like as you're talking I'm thinking well is it even ideal for women to be working outside the home altogether? Like but the it's almost like a philosophical question because the practical reality is that most women do need to work outside the home. Most families require two incomes and working outside the home isn't something that a lot of people can opt out of even if they may like they may want to.
1: So I definitely agree with that and I also think that th- Women can move in in either direction, meaning that a woman who wants to be more in the home and that's what she, makes her energized and helps her feel good and 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 she feels passionate and wants that, then you know she can definitely try to gear her job in a way that that can happen more. Mm-hmm. And and that's also possible. It's opening up the possibilities. I don't have to have this type of job to be able to make money. How can I be in the house more and be with my children more and, you know, make some Parnassa? For some other women, that's very draining for them to be at home and getting out and coming back into the home is where they get their energy and have the energy to give to their family. So I think it's so individual about tuning in to what's true for each person and then making those choices with, you know, it's a very individual as opposed to a societal thing. I think we have to start making this much more individual. Yeah,
0: I I agree with that and very well said. Okay. So how did you get into now coaching and why marriage and what brought you to that? Okay. So
1: I, so after I started running these workshops in Cleveland in my house um, from there, I started working with private clients, um, coaching has always been a profession that women, that people do over the phone, so it's not limited to your locale. Um, but with the explosion of Zoom and during COVID, that really, I think, took everything to a different level because I started meeting with a lot of women on Zoom. So it was more personal. I was able to see them, um, and it really created an unlimited options in terms of um, people being able to access me. Um, it's, it's amazing.
0: I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, there are so many things that came out of COVID in a positive way, obviously lots of horrible negative things, but just that alone is just, and I've spoken to a few people who are in your type of profession or even other professions where just like these options all of a sudden open to them that are just so creative and really great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I started working with private clients. Mm. Started running some group sessions over Zoom with women, and then developed, you know, my own group coaching program, particularly for leaders in the community, so rabbis,ns, Kala teachers, um, mentors, coaches, and even therapists, to teach them these tools. So it's been a progression. So at this point, I'm doing that. I'm also working with private clients. Going back to why I went into marriage Mm -hmm. specifically. So. I think it, you know, a lot had to do with my own journey. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, I was very young and idealistic when I got married. And I sort of had this idea of, okay, I'm this really good Besiakov girl, really good person. I'm marrying a really good person. And when we, you know, two people have good midos, you just get married, everything's good. And I realized along the way that there was just some things that I was struggling with and, you know, having a hard time with. I was feeling really overwhelmed. I was taking, felt like I was taking care of everything. Um, I sometimes felt like taking care of my husband was another person that I have to take care of and it was not something, I was like, this is not what marriage is supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to feel. I don't want to feel like this and I, I, That really set me on my own journey of self-discovery and um, discovery about marriage. And I did a lot of my own work and totally realized that some of the ideas I had about marriage, some of the things um, that I was believing, doing, acting, feeling, weren't conducive to the type of marriage relationship that I wanted. And I really turned things totally around into a totally different thing. And I think that really inspired me to show other women the way. So do you work just with
0: women or you work with women and men
1: together? So at this point, I have only worked just with the women. So mm-hmm. I work with women, empowering the women to create changes within their marriage.
0: So that's so interesting because I I strongly believe that one person changes a relationship. Obviously, if you change the moves to a dance, the other person has to either adjust or fall down or somehow accommodate the changes that are made. And certainly I only work with women. I mean, I'm a therapist, but also I occasionally see couples and If I ever do see a couple, it's exhausting. It's very hard. Hats off to all the um, couples therapists out there. Um, But I have heard women express to me frustration that they feel like they're doing the heavy lifting with regards to, let's say, seeking therapy or, you know, trying to work on themselves and their husbands are not on board. They don't want to go to therapy. They don't want to do the work. So how do you think, how does it work when you see, like, give me an example, like a woman comes in and how is she able to change her marriage without her husband's buy-in and support?
1: Okay, so yeah, that's a great question. Um, And I get it a lot. And women are often very resistant because they're like, why should I be doing all the hard work, as you said? So I guess my feeling has a few parts to that question. There's a few parts to it. One is that I often the man is not the one who is pushing for the help. And I think that's just the differences between men and women, and what we each want and need. And I do think that when a woman drags her husband for help, which I think often does happen, she's unhappy and she says that we have to
0: do this. Or she makes an ultimatum um, sometimes.
1: Yes. Then we're not really setting this couple up for success to begin with because he's coming in against his will. He's not interested. He's sitting and listening to her complain about him in front of another person. And I think a lot of times that just doesn't move things in the right direction. Now, mm-hmm. that isn't being said when husband and wife are both agreeing to come in. They both want to work on it. But often that's that's the case. What I see with women who are just coming in on their own I guess the question I ask them some questions, and one of them, one of the things I ask them is, "Is it working? What you've done until now? Is trying to get your husband to be different? Is trying to get him to get help? Is is that bringing you to the marriage that you want?" I I think a lot of the coaching that I do is focused on what is effective and what is getting you to the results you want. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think coaching in general is very focused on results on the goal and very forward
0: thinking, as yeah. opposed to like looking back at sort of history, healing, past trauma, whatever it is. Yes. So a woman is coming in and saying, this
1: is what's going on. And my first question is, well, what do you want? Where do you want to get to? Mm -hmm. And we're really going to explore what is this vision that you, where you want to go? Because that's setting them up for, you know, setting up the GPS for our coaching right from the start.
0: Does anybody ever come in and say like, this is what I want? And you're like, yeah, that's too unrealistic. Let's, let's think a little smaller. Does that ever happen? So that's a good question. I just had a client who said, who, who last week we were starting about that, and
1: I said, well, what would be a realistic goal for in three months from now? Right. So I don't necessarily say it's unrealistic. I say, let's do this bite size. Okay. So let's put it down, cut it down into pieces. All right. Um, okay. And, and then I, we talk a lot about the woman's, um, if she wants change, trying to make her husband do that, if that is not working, which generally and very often it doesn't, um, then she's stuck if she's not willing to take the responsibility on on her own. So she can say, well, I want this, and my husband isn't willing to do the work to do this. So I say, then you have two choices. You can either stay where you are or keep trying to nag him or force him, which hasn't been working until now, or you can take this into your own hands, do your own inner work, create a change in your own dynamic, in, in what's going on inside of you, and then see what happens within the marriage. So, you know, it's, it's really not um, saying, yeah, this should be all your responsibility. It's more saying, is, what, what do you want? And mm-hmm. what's the most effective way to get there? And if I can't change another person, because I never can change another person, all I do have power of is myself. So let's do our work. To create change.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I, like you, I deal with a lot of women and with something that I hear a lot from women who, who um, you know, maybe their husbands are, you know, somewhere on the spectrum, good good husbands to difficult husbands, whatever it is, but I'll very often hear women say things like it upsets them that their husband doesn't go to Minyan or something like that, or he doesn't learn. And then I'll say, well, you're not your husband's mashkiach, so you know, that's his, that's his problem. And then they'll say, they'll ramp it up a notch because they didn't like that I said that. So they'll say, yeah, but what are my kids seeing from their father? So how, how would you respond to that? Putting you on the spot here. Yeah, no, this is
1: actually a really good question. And this is (laughs) one of the biggest challenges that I think I face all the time. You know, women are so spiritually connected. They want so much to do what's right. Mm. And this is, probably one of the most common things that women are right? struggling with that come yeah. to me which is you know my husband my husband is not religiously performing in the way that I want both for me and my home and for my mm. children yeah so here we go back to the the paradigm that I work with all the time which is a Venn diagram mm-hmm. which is what is in my world um what is in my husband's world and then there is obviously an overlap in the, in those two circles. And we go to my circle of business and his circle of business. And my circle of business is my thoughts, my friends, my work, my body, my health, my spiritual growth, and all of those things. And when the women explore that and see what is there in their world and their business, I say, well, guess what? Your husband has his world. And those things are all in his, his world and his business too. So, The next step is, well, how do I relate to things in my husband's world? If I'm not supposed to be stepping in and trying to change them and telling him to go to Minyan and being his mashkiach and telling him, you know, this is the model for the kids. Because it usually doesn't work and it affects the intimacy between the couple. Right, that's very important. um, Then... I say, well, what's your piece here? What can you do? So what we really do at that point is we try to lower her distress around Mm -hmm. this. So we do inner work with her to let go of, you know, whenever there's control, she wants to control something, there's a fear that's underneath it. So Mm -hmm. we work with her fear around that. We work with what's triggering her around that. We work with her judgment. Mm -hmm. Because if I can get her to a better place emotionally where she feels better about this, then that's going to have a huge impact on the marriage
0: so powerful and it's it's really like the nagging is now just another problem so the husband's not going to minion and now the couple's fighting about it so then it's even more of a like and whatever the kids are seeing or experiencing <clears throat> excuse me, they're experiencing now fighting about Minion. also aside from just the lack right. of Minion attendance or whatever it is. And I do see this on the flip side also, just because like my husband also has tell me them that will call him and say things like they're upset about maybe the wife's level of Tineas. And it's the same sort of thing. Like this is your business. This is her business. You're not her Rebbe, you know, like this isn't necessarily something that you should be um, giving your two cents about. So I-, I do see that sometimes coming from the other side, just, you know.
1: Yeah, I often ask women the question: Is what you've been doing until now it, tr- waking him up for minion all the time, nagging him, trying to get him? Is it working? And if they do say, "Yeah, sometimes it's working, sometimes he's going," I say, "And what effect is that having on your, you know, on your closeness and connection?" And once they can see that it's not, you know. Either it's not working or it's having a big effect on their shell and bias, often right. that's enough for them to start letting go, but then they have to do their inner work right. to, to right. let go of their own distress.
0: Right. Well, having a good marriage is certainly not easy or everybody would have one and they wouldn't need us and we'd be out of work. So, so just sort of like maybe as a general question, like what do you see, like the biggest problem? I mean, your clients are mostly from, I'm assuming. Yes. So the biggest problem facing from couples today, I guess a two part question, I would say that's the first part of the question. And the second part of the question is like, maybe what sort of expectations, maybe this is part of the problem that people are coming in with that are setting them up for failure or certainly for marriage troubles down the road. Okay so
1: yeah I guess those are two different yeah, questions. So yeah. first I'll tell you what I'm seeing mostly in the women that are coming to me and mm-hmm. again this is gl- general this isn't you know specific but I think a lot of women are feeling just lonely and disconnected in their marriages. So, you know, they're, they're telling me my husband's busy with work a lot or he's busy mm. with whatever chesed he's doing a lot or he's on the phone a lot and they just want more of their husbands. So yes. I think that's a very big one that's going on today. Um, and I think smartphones and has, has taken that to a whole new level because um, I think that's, you know, I just had a woman who recently said to me, like, I just want my husband to look at me when I'm talking to him and not be right. looking at his phone even while he's listening to me.
0: Right. It's true. Yeah. And women are doing it also, even though they know that it's not necessarily good for intimacy. They're also on their phone. It's like not, it's not just the husband, right? Yeah, No.
1: So, but I, I guess because I'm work, working with the women, I'm just telling you what the women yeah. are coming in with. I guess the other thing that we mentioned yeah. is the spiritual level of their husbands. I think it's a huge concern and it causes a lot of distress to many women, which is, mm-hmm. I, I just want him learning more. I want him, um, going to davening. I want him going to Shalon on Shabbos. I want, you know, I, th- I think there's a lot of that. And, um, I would say with COVID that even exploded more because, in a certain way there was this break from the shul and the general structure. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of men who were struggling in that way didn't necessarily go back to the way that they were doing it until then after that break. So that really created a lot of difficulty.
0: That's so interesting because I think one of the positive effects of COVID is that for Jewish families, really the center of our, you know, our ruchness or our our faith, our religion really happens at home. Whereas people, you know, When you speak to somebody, let's say, who's not Jewish and the fact that they couldn't go to services, they couldn't go to church or they couldn't go whatever, like all of a sudden there's no religion. And for us, it's almost like for some people, maybe it worked out. Do you think, did you see that people were able to sort of reinvigorate that home as sort of the center of their Ruchnias? like that that strengthened people? So personally,
1: that was my experience (laughs) with it. I mean, we had some beautiful halal davenings with our whole family, you know, from the two-year-old all the way up. And like I... I think, though, I'm seeing in the couples that are struggling that it actually often created because if if the husband is struggling somewhat in his Ruchnias or not living up to the expectations that his wife has of him, mm-hmm. I, in those cases, I actually felt like it somewhat exacerbated it.
0: Right, right. And men do need a certain amount of social pressure, which they obviously didn't get from COVID. And it, you know, I could see maybe a man who's more of an introvert would appreciate davening by himself and somebody who's not having a really hard time with that and also having struggling getting back into it. So interesting. Okay. So, so loneliness and then how, how do you work with a woman to feel less lonely in her marriage?
1: So let me, I just want to bring back one more point that I see a lot and then we'll go back to the loneliness is I think the other thing is women who are very overwhelmed and stressed Mm -hmm. out. So that's just another piece that I'm seeing a Mm. lot of like I'm carrying it all right and that that and how that is you know why can't my husband do more why isn't my husband helping more in the house why isn't he making more money why isn't he right like so this very um I, I think that's just another big thing that's coming in.
0: Well, do you feel that women aren't, and we're going to go back to the loneliness piece, we're not going to forget about it, so anybody who's listening, but do you feel that sometimes women don't let them, their husbands do more? Because I see that sometimes also, or women who criticize their husband's parenting. So they have to, like, I have to do everything because they don't trust their husband's ability to parent. It has to be my way, and if he doesn't do it my way, it's the wrong way kind of thing. So it's a huge piece of the work that we do. Yeah. Like, I, I think that this
1: overwhelm and this feeling of caring at all, and this is definitely my own journey, was sort of, Like, I'm, my way is the right way. I'm (laughs) going to do it my way because I think, you know, I need to handle the money because I, I have a certain way of doing money. And if my husband does it, it's not going to be my way and my way is better. So, you know, over the years, we working through that and relinquishing that so that I was doing less and trusting more. Mm -hmm. And then my husband did live up to my trust. So it's a lot of the work with, you know, with women that I do do is that piece. Yeah.
0: right. Okay, so going back to the loneliness, because that's a hard one.
1: So it's actually, I wouldn't say it's such a hard one in my Mm -hmm. books, because I think that once we get the dynamics in place in a better way between husband and wife. Mm -hmm. And a man doesn't have to be retreating because he's always feeling attacked, whether it's because he's being criticized, whether he's being told his way is not the right way, um, in in many different ways that she does that, you know, by her tone of voice, Mm -hmm. by her rolling her eyes, by any any sort of things that might be happening that sort of are making him retreat. So a lot of times when we cut out a lot of those behaviors, Mm -hmm. number one, and number two, we work on the woman um, feeling like her husband can actually do things that do make her happy and she can communicate that to her husband. Mm -hmm. So once we do work on that piece of it also, once a man, and we're talking about healthy men here, Mm -hmm. um, can, you know, doesn't have to be pulling back all the time because he's feeling attacked and men feel attacked in many different ways. Um, and once he knows that he actually can please her and make her happy, Mm -hmm. he, he often, you know, often just putting those pieces in place, which isn't all so simple, but needs some work can bring them, you know, already much back, much closer together.
0: Right. The thing I love about coaching also is that it's so, it's so hopeful it's so it's so like results oriented, yeah. in a way that's just very positive, and I, I love that. Um, so going back to the expectations piece, yeah. do you find that people maybe are coming in with expectations that are about marriage that are maybe misaligned or unrealistic? Is that something that you see that's going on, or maybe there's expectations that are just out of whack in some way about what the roles are, or how husbands should treat their wives? Well, I don't know if you're seeing any of that.
1: Yeah. So I think the there's a few pieces of that that I see. One expectation that I definitely see is that a husband and people think that for the marriage to work well or for us to be close and connected, we have to be alike. And Mm -hmm. I think many young couples and engaged couples think that they're just alike. Mm -hmm. So then as they go into the marriage and see more and more differences become uncovered, there's this huge fear, like how are we ever going to make it? How are we going to stay connected when we feel so differently about so many things or we want to spend time so differently than each other or any of those type of Mm -hmm. um, concerns? So I think... And, and, and in my coaching, part of what I do is we actually start celebrating differences because as opposed to being scared of differences, you know, I I'll tell women that. to look out and say, wow, like, because once you can see it in a different way and you understand how intimacy can flow between the couple, even with the differences, we don't have to be scared of the differences anymore. Right. And I guess the main um, understanding that I have about how that can work is that Closeness and connection between the couple is really about each person being themselves, being authentic and real, and being feeling in a safe enough place to share that with the other person. Mm-hmm. So it's about me being me and being able to share that with you and allowing you to be you and making the space safe enough for you to be you with me. And that can create the closeness and connection. So we don't have to be the same. Right. We just have to each be our ourselves and be able to be known and seen by the other one.
0: Yeah. Um, so Terence Real, I don't know if you know who he is, he's a right famous marriage therapist, wrote a few excellent books. One of the things that he talks about is our sort of modern expectations of marriage that people today nowadays expect to have a partner, an intimate partner, a best friend, a companion, you know, somebody to do their hobbies with, whatever it is. And the almost the the requirements that we're placing on marriage are too much for this or more than what this bond was meant to let's say sustain your social circle your your religious connection everything is sort of placed onto the marriage I don't know what do you think about that
1: yeah I I think this is another big piece of the work I do with women which is that they need to take and another expectation people come in with or Mm -hmm. women come in with which is if I'm not happy it's my husband's fault or it's my husband's job to make me happy and we pull back and say my emotions are is in my circle of business, my emotional right. world. So my happiness is mine. How am I going to go make myself happy? And mm-hmm. that means social is a huge, huge thing that I feel like really gets um, – is, is lacked a lot within our society just because there's no time. Yes. Like, we're so busy with our children, and we're so busy with our work, and we're so busy with keeping the house, and the responsibilities are so many that who has time to go out with friends? Mm-hmm. And I think a woman's need for social interaction is so huge – that then that gets placed on the husband and he's not doing it for me. So mm-hmm. we step back and I have a woman take ownership of their own zone of well-being. We look right. at how can I be happy myself? And then how am I bringing a happy wife into this marriage? And how does that affect the marriage? So I think that is a very unrealistic expectation for our husband to cre- you know, fill all those roles and create that happiness for us.
0: Okay. So I know one of the things that you do, and I know this because I'm taking your course right now, although I should tell my audience that Rifki and I were friends before I started taking her class. And I wanted to have her on because I'm finding what she says and the tools that she uses to be so helpful. I really, I love them. And like I said, so positive. Tell me a little bit about teaching therapists and teaching other teachers or people who come in like me with like, I have my ideas about like what marriage is. How how does that work?
1: Yeah, so it definitely took some courage to move into this um, into this line of work in right. terms of, you know, really training leaders in the mm-hmm. community and therapists who already have a lot of training. Um, what pushed me to do this is that I I had many women I guess who were coming to me, either who had been in distress in their marriages and had gone and spoken to a mentor mm-hmm. or spoken to a, you know, sometimes a therapist or spoken to a um, or or somebody in their life to give them guidance. And often the guidance was on the right track, meaning like you just need to accept your husband the way he is, like things like that. But I saw that there was a limitation between those women hearing that message and then being able to really do the internal work to to make that authentic. So they could hear, well I need to accept him the way he is, but I don't I don't accept him the way he is or right. <laughs> or I need to respect him, you know, but I don't feel respect and I don't right. I right? So there was this gap between mm-hmm. the advice that was being given and the tools needed to take a woman to that internal place in a very mm-hmm. real way. Right. And that's what pushed me and to To offer these tools um, to all the people that are counseling and guiding people, um, because I just think they are so incredibly powerful and can really move, like we said, back to that inner work. My goal is to get our women out of distress so that mm-hmm. they can move to a better place in their marriages. So that is where um, I. So it's it's a lot of fun for me because mm-hmm. it's you know meeting with other people who. Have thought about marriage a lot. Who have thought about this internal work process a lot. So, you know, it, it's not that I never come up against different ideas and different mm-hmm. and different thoughts about it. But you know, I'm I'm working on my terrain of people mm-hmm. who like really have have developed themselves and thought a lot about this. So it's it's really fascinating for me, mm-hmm. and we can explore things together. And I can share, you know, what what has worked for me, and also sometimes just question the way that they have been thinking about something or perceiving something and open up, you know, a whole new way of looking, a whole new perspective or a whole new paradigm for them.
0: Do you think there's a value? Like I see one of the differences, let's say between maybe therapy and coaching. And I'm a huge fan of coaching, by the way. I know some therapists will um, be sometimes a little bit dismissive. And I think even in therapy, like really the, the, effectiveness of a therapist, and this has been shown in research, is the relationship between the client and the therapist. And that's the number one thing that really is going to determine the effectiveness. So if you find the right person, then, and whether it's a therapist or a rav or an older relative that you can talk to and get guidance, like that's really what a person is looking for. But with regards to coaching, I love it because you do have those tools and it is practical and it is so positive. Um, But do you see that value of going back and dealing with past pain, um, working through how we were raised and making peace with some of the things that happened. Like, how are you with with those things as a coach? Yeah,
1: so often I will see within the work that a woman's getting triggered in a very big way about something. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll see husband does this and she feels very abandoned Mm -hmm. or husband does this and she feels rejected. Now, when I see that coming up a lot, I... And, and it can come up in other relationships also as we're working or in other contexts. I can see themes of wounding that mm-hmm. is there. And so part of the training I did receive from Dina Friedman um is in the area of doing some healing, and that can be done in different ways. I do that through meditations. I do that in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it needs to go, you know, sometimes I will work in tandem with a therapist. So a therapist will be working. Mm-hmm. I have one client right now who's working with a therapist and doing EMDR mm-hmm. um, with them and at the same time working on their skills with me. So sometimes it's something um, that that I can work with when I see that trigger. Sometimes it's something that I can refer out or the client is already seeing somebody mm-hmm. out. But it is a very important piece because our healing is going to affect the way that we are, you know, perceiving different things that are happening to us within the marriage. So everything's intertwined. Um, and I guess the way that I really look at it is if there is mental illness involved, that's beyond my, you know, right. what, what I do and then I'm going to refer it out. When there's some sort of wounding or healing that needs to happen, those are there are some tools that I use to work with those.
0: Right. That's great. Are you generally optimistic about the state of marriage today?
1: I am generally optimistic. (laughs) It's a good it's a great question. I am generally optimistic because I see I have taken so many women who have felt somewhat hopeless in certain Mm -hmm. ways. Not necessarily hopeless, you know, for their whole marriage, but have been hopeless on certain aspects of their Mm -hmm. marriage or certain things and have been working hard for years and years and years to try to fix it and haven't seen success and then you know have walked with me to the other side so overall I am very optimistic are there big issues that we're facing are there societal issues are there mental health issues those are huge and I don't Mm -hmm. want to take those away like those are big you know big, there are a lot, a lot of people walking around with a lot of baggage that is Mm -hmm. then affecting their marriage. But there's a lot of us that aren't. And, Mm -hmm. and still the marriages are, are somewhat rocky. And, you know, everybody has their stuff. And I really feel like we can make huge, huge progress.
0: Right. And I think it's true also. And I don't know, I'm sure this is something that you come across that uh, somebody doesn't have to be in distress or have a bad marriage or be on the brink of divorce to want to make their marriage better. Like a good marriage can be better. A great marriage could be better. You can always have a better situation than you're in, no matter where you're starting off from. Like, do you find that where somebody just comes to you they have a good marriage, but you know what? Like, why not?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so I was that type of person. Right. Like that, that was me. Like I right. was always like, you know, always just want more, want better, want to explore. Yeah. Um, I think definitely within group coaching, that's, that's going to happen more just cause it's less pricey mm-hmm. as opposed to with individual coaching. Um, if someone's going to be paying for individual coaching, you know, generally they're at a little higher distress level than I just want right. to grow and make this better. But in more group settings, that's definitely, you know, a part of people that are just, and a huge amount of percentage of my clients are just women, for sure, the ones who I started off with um, in Cleveland were women who just really are into self-development, into growth, always want to improve their relationships, improve themselves, and that's what pushed them to come and get started.
0: If there was one message that you could give from women from your life experience, what would it be?
1: One message. Okay. I, I didn't without any time to think about yes, that. I'm putting I'm not... to the spot. I totally <laughs>
0: forgot my fault.
1: Didn't I didn't prepare for this question. I think the one message is you can really have you know, you can have what you want. Like if you want something more, if you want more connection in your marriage, if you want more, you know, more acceptance, if you wanna feel more respect, if you want any of those things that you're feeling you're struggling with. You go for it! Like, don't don't give up. There, there's ways to reach that place of inner serenity and peace and closeness and connection within your marriage.
0: That's great. Okay, so you hear that, ladies? Don't settle. That's <laughs> Rifki's message. That's a great way to end the podcast. And um, if people want to find you, and I would highly recommend, maybe one day we'll be saying that there's a, a health coach has like Rifki Gardner's certification. She's trained by Rifki. Then you know she's a good training like she's a good coach like I said I'm doing Rifki's training right now but if you're interested or if people want to look you up and find you where do they go
1: yes so I'm doing both private one-on-one coaching right now and mm-hmm. I'm starting um, two new groups actually for my leadership training um, starting at the end of December so I you can definitely reach me on my cell phone my cell mm-hmm. phone is 216-926-9036 you can text or call um, I do not have active WhatsApp, even if it shows up as active, Mm -hmm. it's, it's on my computer somewhere and it's not being used. I just have to disable it. Um, and I can also be reached at my email address, which is mastery coaching by Rifke, R I V K E at gmail.com. I do have a website, dot com, as well.
0: All right, and I'm going to put Rifke's contact info hopefully in the description notes for this podcast. Rifki, thank you so much for coming. This was such a great conversation <laughs> and I am really enjoying your training. so highly recommend okay, Thank you. Thank you Yo Thanks. everybody for listening to this episode and sticking it out to the end if you're looking for support I really encourage you to reach out to Rifki at the email or the phone number she provided she is really great at what she does I also want to thank everybody who's listening and again if you'd like to reach me with any questions I love hearing feedback from listeners email me at a deeper conversation 120 at gmail.com follow me on instagram at a deeper conversation and consider being a monthly supporter of the podcast it really helps keep things going And you can go to maverickpodcasting.com and click on the page for deeper conversation. Sponsorships are also available for podcasts. And I look forward to hearing from you and meeting you back at the next episode.